Oh, hello everyone. Sorry, no time for a big introduction as we've got a very special guest today. It's only Michael Rosen. Hello. Hello, Michael. So you have just pressed the button on the randomizer, correct? Yes. Yes. And uh, how did you find the experience? Were there any problems at all? Okay. Don't worry about it. Okay, well, in that case, which episode did you get? Survival. Ah. I think you know what I mean. I certainly do. Here's UFO. Nice. And off we go. So, welcome back to UFO on the Randomizer. And uh, oddly enough, this was an episode that was being discussed on the podcast just a few weeks ago by... Uh, by the one and only Ms. Samira Ahmed, who was um, talking about this episode for reasons that we shall go into later on, because uh, I'd quite like to talk about um, some of the, the points she raised there as well. Anyway, we uh, at present have a UFO sneaking onto uh, the moon, apparently undetected by moon base. And I, I, I don't know if I've ever said before, but I really love the look and the, particularly the sound of the UFOs, just these evil, the evil spinning tops. It's a, it's a beautiful design and a gorgeous sound. And I do wish that we could have seen even just a little of the interiors. I know we saw a, a bit in, uh, in uh, uh, Foster's Nightmare in Ordeal. Doesn't really count, though. Anyway... We now have uh, one alien has snuck out onto the lunar surface with a gun, and he's uh, he's taking aim at Shadow Moon Base. And this is an interesting shot that establishes there's more than one floor to those uh, spheres. One more day to go. Yep. One more day. Then, back to my favorite planet. Which one's that? Earth. Oh. I thought he might say Tatooine or something. You know, Grant, we're going to miss you. <laughs> sure. No, really, I mean, having a character like you around really breaks the monotony. Well, I'd love to stay, really, but... Uh... Oh, I know, you've got a hundred chicks just waiting for you to call. Well, let's not go overboard. 80 or 90, maybe? Oh, this is Bill Grant. He's he's a he's a real character. He's uh, you know they'd be really sorry to lose him. He's a good egg. Everybody loves this Bill Grant guy. I'd sure hope something doesn't happen to him. In unrelated news, an alien has just fired a bullet through the leisure sphere window. Yeah, I, I hadn't really realised until relatively recently that these these spheres have more than one floor. Um, the interior of, of Shadow Moon Base has never made a whole lot of sense to me. There doesn't seem to be much room, and um, the base has certain functions that the exterior doesn't seem to allow for. But uh, anyway, Paul Foster and uh, astronaut one day to retirement uh, playing cards while there's a crack growing on the window. Thank you, sir. Hey. So Foster's lent him his lighter because, you know, you you do things like that for Bill Grant because he's just one of a kind. What would we do without him? Uh-oh. That's it. The window has blown and uh, Foster was able to get to the door, but poor old Bill... Oh no, he's not going to make it. Air is uh, leaving the room very quickly, as are lots of uh, magazines and uh, various bits and pieces. I like the way as well they uh, establish the change in pressure with the the balloon of Straker's face that someone's drawn on it, um, getting bigger and bigger as the, the pressure changes. Poor old Bill, he can't get to the door. 
despite all those many, many women waiting for him back on Earth because he's just so, oh, he's so wonderful and manly. Unfortunately, it looks like we'll have to uh, manage without him and his, his chest hair and his medallion. I can't remember the actor's name, but he's actually, he's doing a really good job here as, as Foster. He's trying to hold the door open. He can't make it. And just the look of, of absolute horror in this uh, Bill Grant's eyes. Now as all the air is gone. Yeah, that's it for poor old Bill Grant. Oh, Bill, what are we going to do without you? But never mind. We, we fitted a new window anyway. I, I, I've always found this music. It's nice music, but it doesn't really quite fit with the uh, the um, uh, fairly unpleasant death we just saw for, uh, for, for such an important person as Bill Grant. It's nice and happy and jolly. Tra-la-la-la. Bill Grant is dead. Bill Grant is dead. There's his body. Covered by a sheet. See, it doesn't quite fit. It's too, it's too upbeat, but it's a nice tune. New port secure and tested. Repressurized. Mark is checking the uh, seal on the new window. Everything's fine, so Foster can now come back in. Oh dear, he's not happy. And uh, something that we will also touch on throughout this episode, because it is quite important. This is Michael Billington's first episode in production order replacing our actor Franco De Rosa as the previous Moonbase commander who was sacked after, well, a few days on Identified, I believe. I want every part of this sphere searched. I want the remains of that port collected from outside and reconstructed. Oh, that sounds like fun. I want the answer. And here we go, a, a very uh, unusual shadow vehicle. Lord William Grant, killed in the line of duty, April the 12th, 1981 had lots of birds waiting for him back on Earth. That's it, sending his, uh, his body off into space in a capsule. Presumably he had no family who might be interested in having his body back. It's just, uh, nah, we'll send it off into space. Can't keep it here. It is quite a, a poignant image, though. I've always found in this show just one, one lone astronaut spinning off into space, into the vastness of space, whether it's this show or 1999 or Thunderbirds. And this is a similar kind of thing, although it, it loses something not, not seeing the body as such, we just see the capsule anyway. There is your answer. Mark has reconstructed the window, which is very good of him. And it shows the fracture left by the entry of the bullet. And we now pan over to Shadow, where Straker is also reviewing the same pane of broken glass. We've calculated that the projectile was fired from a group of rocks about 200 meters from the base. The chemical analysis hasn't told us much, except it's part alloy. One of the constituents is unknown on Earth. Oh, they found the bullet too. Now you're saying that a UFO landed on the moon, undetected, and one of its occupants got out and fired this projectile at moon base. Three days ago, a particularly large stream of meteorites played havoc with our tracking system. Oh, meteorites. Normally it's sunspots. Then just taken off again after the attack. No, the interference didn't last long enough. It's still somewhere on the moon. I've had the interceptors searching for the last 24 hours. And if they find it? My orders are seek and destroy. And who are you in relation to this series? When is the next lunar launch possible? At 1400 hours tomorrow, sir. Oh, Jeremy Wilkin answering the intercom there. 
Alec, I'm going back to Moonbase with Commander Foster. Well, Commander Foster, that they, they say that a few times in this episode, and that never sounds right. Oh, Alec, could you get me everything we've got on the disintegration of UFOs in the Earth's atmosphere? Give me 30 minutes. Well, it shouldn't take that long. You probably don't have that much. I want you to countermand your orders to the interceptors. Tell them to seek and observe. Yes, I know, I know. Doesn't sound as cool. Action is to want to hit back. I liked Bill Grant, too. We were to be married. We know that a UFO disintegrates if it stays too long on Earth. All of our evidence suggests that it has some reaction with our atmosphere. And there's no atmosphere on the moon. Ooh. Exactly. He's got it. This may be our best chance ever to get our hands on a UFO. Intact. We won't be able to leave for another 23 hours. Why don't you go somewhere and unwind? Yeah, I think maybe you're right. Mm. He's, uh... Oh, he hasn't finished his glass there. You can contact me. I think I know where. Yeah, very strange that they would uh, introduce Foster in this episode as such a strong and vital character to the series. And just think this would this would fly without giving him a proper introduction, which thankfully they did in Exposed. I wonder how far they got into this episode, actually, before they realised, hang on a second, we're giving this guy so much screen time, we made him so prominent, we really need to explain who the hell he is. Because if you watch in, in production order, it's just... It makes no sense. Who is he? Where's he come from? So I'm glad that they did go back and... Um, well, not go back. Oh, no, in a sense, they did go back because they went one back in order to put uh, an introductory episode in for him, even though it was made after this. Anyway, we're now over at uh, Suzanne Farmer's Groovy Pad. She was a regular ITC girl on things like The Saint and, and so on, but um, this is her only Anderson appearance, I think. Which is a shame because I really like her in... Uh, in those shows. She's often given very sort of um, thankless the girl parts and um, she always does a lot with them. They're beautiful. A very, what you call? A very end of the 60s, here comes the 70s, but we're pretending it's the 80s pad she's got going on here. A great big pink elephant in the corner of the room. And Foster. Oh, Foster be home in time for supper being driven home by ed straker for some reason home moon base after an afternoon spent uh well playing with the pink elephant i suppose oh no lunar module time i hate this thing it's so slow i mean i know the the oh goodness i don't even want to talk about this thing the the longest sequence of the lunar module is undoubtedly the beginning of computer affair but i can see by my timeline on on my project file here this is going to run at least 30 seconds and it's it's pointless and it's padding i suppose you can get away with it in early installments if you haven't seen this shit before hey this is brand new but um when you've seen the show once or twice or in my case at least a dozen times, I would suspect. The lunar module just slows everything down. It is an absolute slug of a vehicle, and they insist on showing us every single stage of its journey. We are now coming up on a full minute of the lunar module. I just wonder what else they could do with this time. But, uh, hey-ho. 
maybe they could uh, explain how the heck anybody ever actually gets off this thing when it gets gets to moon base because uh one of those astronauts to get those aerial photos in here fast. I have no idea. First thing he'll ask for. The second thing, Space Tracker Harrington, the first thing is a cup of coffee. Perhaps you'll be good enough to organize that. Miss Barry. Yes, sir? I met your father about a month ago. I was happy to tell him I think you're settling in extremely well. Thank you, sir. Yes, after ten years working for Shadow, I think you, I can now say you've settled in very well. Sure. Oh, Harrington, that's with cream and sugar, please. Yes, sir. I like Joan Harrington. I like the I like the sort of uh, sauciness and sassiness and. Uh, it's in there. Yeah, again, that was um, something else that happened in, in Confetti Check AOK. They they show that Nina Barry was with Shadow at the very start. Same as with Keith Ford. How long would it take a moonmobile to get into that area? Both of those characters are, are, are told. Oh, you've only been with us a little while. I suggest we use two mobiles, a couple of men in each. Fine. Uh, what do you suggest as crew? I'd like a crack at that, sir. Thank you. Mark can handle it. Yeah. He knows the area. And he's Fine. been with the series longer than I have. Thank you, sir. Now, that just leaves the other moonmobile. I'll pick my own crewmen as well. I suggest we use a missiles operative. As moon base commander, your place is in the control sphere. Maybe, sir. But I was the one who saw Bill Grant's face as he tried to make it to that airlock. Oh, that wins the argument. Yeah, everyone calls Foster Commander through this episode. Three miles from Terminator. Which in theory would put him on, on equal par with Straker. I know he's technically just Commander of the Moon Base, but uh, I don't I don't recall Gaelis being called Commander when she's in charge. He'll soon be in darkness. So it's another one of those early installment weirdness things that uh, thankfully doesn't last too long. To mobiles. Maintain close visual contact. Roger control. Anyway, we found the UFO from uh, aerial observations, and we've sent out two mobiles. Don't worry, sir. I'll be breathing down your neck all the way. To go and investigate. We've got to get this UFO intact. And the moon mobiles are very obviously a lift from... Uh, Miles from target. Uh, the same... Were they called moon mobiles in, in Captain Scarlet? I think they were. And the interceptors in. Is that understood? Understood. And it's nice that they sort of learnt from past mistakes that they made with that thing, although it looks really good. And the, the articulation of the Captain Scarlet Moonmobiles jumping up and down as it sort of plods its way along the surface, uh, again, did eat up a lot of time. Whereas with these ones, although they're largely the same design, or at least heavily influenced by the, the Scarlet Lunaville ones, uh, unsurprisingly, because I think they're both designed by Mike Trim, uh, it, it's just so so much nicer to see them speeding across the lunar surface rather than that strange glumping motion that uh, the scarlet ones did we should be able to see them from the top of the next ridge we'll leave the mobiles here and go in on foot roger right let's go now when i first saw this episode as a kid this was uh, i believe the third episode that was shown on the BBC after Identified and Exposed. So uh, this was our first taste of spacesuit action, lunar surface action um, for UFO. I know there's uh, there's the bit in uh, Flight Path at the end of that when George Cole has got the rocket launcher and he's taken down the UFO. But I kind of like opening the series with Identified, Exposed and Survival rather than identified 
computer affair and, and flight path. That's just personal personal choice, personal taste there. Everything seems quiet on the UFO front. They've found it, but it's not doing anything. Foster scanned it with a variety of props. Control, have positive sighting of UFO. In the center of a crater, just as it was in the aerial shots, it hasn't moved. What does it look like? Difficult to say. But from its attitude, it could have been damaged on landing. Now what about the radiation check? Negative. It's just sitting there. Well, I suppose it's just possible it might be abandoned. There's only As one way a to former find radiation specialist, Klaus Hergersheimer, I feel this is an important question to raise. Right. Yellow alert. Ooh. Who's first in line? My privilege. I'll follow you. Then Brad and Don. Any questions? We can't risk Brad and Don as well. Remember, they're expendable. We want the UFO. I do like as well uh, watching these lunar surface scenes, comparing them to to 1999s, and you can see that there's a nice evolution. The landscape in in 1999 looks so much more. Well, well I don't I don't want to say realistic as such, but less like a studio. I think the trouble with UFO being out on the lunar surface is it, it sometimes feels very overlit. Uh, it certainly does in this episode. But again, it's 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 early days for this kind of filming, and also they haven't. Um, Affected. I don't, well, they're not even attempting to do any sort of um, uh, sort of slow motion walking or moving here. They're just you know walking around as normal. It may as well just be a a, a, a standard hike in the country. So Foster has got as close as he dare to the UFO. He's waving Mark and the others in, but uh, oh dear! Now it started glowing. Hold it. And Michael Billington, although um, this this is by far not his his greatest performance in the role of, of Paul Foster. Red alert. He really looks the part. He really looks like a like a leading man, like a proper hero. Um, I can understand why they why the the Andersons went with him. Computer for attack. Yes, sir. Anyway, now sending in those interceptors. That's quite an effective model shot as well. The UFO is firing at, um, at three of our uh, cowering astronauts. And, uh, yeah, they see the little figures on the model set behind a ridge. You only see the shots very briefly, but uh, it does look quite impressive as the, the UFO laser hits it and there's explosions going off everywhere. Oh, Foster's made it back to the group. Are you okay? Yeah. Straker says to pull out. We're pinned down here. Look, I'll go get a moonmobile. What if the UFO takes off? There's a chance I've got to take. Give me two minutes. Two moonmobiles for four people. Are four of you going to fit in one? ETA target, four minutes. I suppose we'll find out. How soon will you be clear? At least that's the idea. Two minutes, sir. Oh, Foster's run into a very wobbly lunar rock. Banged his knee and uh, that's it. What's the holdup? Oh, they can't hear him. Come in, Mark. Can you hear me? So we cut back to Mark and his uh, his gang of two every so often. Come in, Mark. Can you hear me? Standing around completely clueless. Come in, Mark. Oh, no. Foster's radio is gone. Something must have gone wrong. Come on, let's go. He's probably dead or whatever. I don't know why they all couldn't have gone at once. Except for, as always, the needs of the story. Anyway, the UFO is taking off. The interceptor leader has visual contact. 
The UFO is lifting off. Ooh. Order the attack. I like seeing Streaker sat at the uh, central moon base uh, desk there as well. Come on, our three interceptors are closing. And they hit it first time. What are the odds? But now the UFO is coming down on top of uh, Mark and his crew. And it hit one of our two moonmobiles. Oh, that's it. Both blown to bits. And the other moonmobile is uh, probably a bit singed. Maybe he was thrown clear. <laughs> yeah, right. There was one chance in ten million. It could happen. Well, you said yourself the moonmobile no. was totally destroyed. No. What about Brad and Don? Do they not have any insights? No, everyone's just uh, assumed Foster is dead. Even though he's... <laughs> we see on the model shot he's lying like two feet away from the uh, from where the UFO hit the other mobile. I mean, they if they got into the other mobile to go back to Shadow Moon base, they would have been looking straight at him from the cockpit as they left. Yeah, I can't understand um, why they don't see Foster. It's not like he's hidden. It's not like he's buried. He is, he's right there in plain sight, and Mark and the others are just, no, we'll go home. It's fine. That now means Foster, alone on the lunar surface, with a broken radio, and everyone apparently having given up on him. It's strange as well to to see Straker sort of go, no, he must be dead. If I thought there was a chance, but he's dead. No, in later episodes, he would like, he would have have a limb chopped off rather than risk losing Paul Foster. And poor old Paul, plodding away under the heat of the sun, not getting very far at all. I suspect Michael Billington has just walked from one end of the set, turned around and gone back again. There aren't. Uh, I, I think I recognise that rock. I think he was. I think he came through here earlier. Oh, so Foster has now noticed another set of footprints. Definitely not his, as he's uh, sat here perusing a map, trying to figure out how to get back to base. So he's got his uh, gun at the ready, scouring the horizon for any aliens. Unfortunately, he's missed the one sneaking up behind him. It's well, it's not a Mister On that the music would uh, would uh, suggest that it was a very rare reuse of Captain Scarlet music. There, um, you I don't think you ever hear the Mister On's theme in another series because why would you? It's so immediately associated with them. Heavy damage it was a miracle. It made it back to base. The moonmobiles can be replaced. And Commander Foster can't. Stop calling him a commander. That's one of the reasons I'm staying on here for a couple of days. A new commander will have to be appointed. I didn't mean that. I know what you meant. Look, Alec, there's one thing you can do for me. Foster had no close relatives, but there was someone. A girl? Yes. She was as close to him as anyone. I think she should be told. All right. What's her name? Tina Duval, apartment 19, Windermere Hall. Right. How does he know her address without checking? It would be more realistic to say, oh, I don't know, it's it's on. I left it on a scrap of paper in my office somewhere. You've probably got it on the desk in front of you, but uh, no, Straker seems to, to uh, rattle that uh, apartment number off uh, quite easily, almost as if uh, 
as if he knew. Anyway, Alec has now headed over to see Suzanne Farmer, who doesn't seem to have much of a life beyond, um, well, just waiting for Paul Foster to turn up, really. Miss Duval? Yes? My name is Alec Freeman. I'm a friend of Paul Foster. And I suppose it must have been strange for Ed Bishop and George Sewell to suddenly have this uh, this third main character pushed into the mix and then be told, no, no, he's he's uh, he's, he's always been there. Always been there. Yeah, very important. He's friends with both of your characters. Anyway, Foster is having a very hard time of it. Or at least he's pretending to. He's fallen over again. The alien has got both of their guns. Foster seems to be running low on uh, on air. But he's also got his eye on the uh, the alien's gun. Oh. Well, he made a grab for it. A uh, very half-hearted grab that the alien wasn't prepared for. But he got it. Aiming straight at his head. This is the alien who probably killed... Bill Grant! I love the alien just, uh... What is that he's trading him? He, he, he holds up his hand, and there's... I think it's uh, a valve of uh, oxygen. Or it could be cartridges for the gun. Either way, Paul, uh... Well, he's, he's just given up again. And here we go. This is the uh, scene that Samira was talking about just a few weeks ago between uh, Commander Straker and uh, and Mark Bradley, as played by Harry Baird. Twelve hours. A, a rare sight of someone wearing the skydiver uniform on Moonbase. Do you realize how important this base is? It's a vital link in our defense system. Oh, really? No, nobody told me. Commands it has got one of the most responsible jobs in Shadow. I'd like you to consider it, Mark. Yep, we're down to you. You're offering me the job, sir? Yes. Does that surprise you? Not altogether. And does it surprise you if I say no? And I, before we get too far into the scene, I want to say I like what they're trying to do. Done your duty. You've asked. And I've given you the no you wanted. What do you mean, I've done my duty? Sure. I don't think it quite works, but I admire them for trying to say something. So, I offer you the command of Moonbase, and you say no. Why? Because of this. Don't give me that racial prejudice burned itself out five years ago. Yeah, I still have the commemorative tea towel. All right. On the surface, maybe. But deep down inside of people, it's still there. Maybe it will never show. And maybe it will. Like sometime I'm ordering a guy out on a mission. A time the chances are he won't be coming back. Look, I'm not offering you some easy number. And I don't care if you're a polka dot with red stripes. You're the best man for the job. Now, do you want it? Yes, sir. I would like it. But not like this. So, yeah, the, the, there's several reasons I don't feel this quite works. You get some rest, Commander. Well, uh, the primary reason, I don't think Harry Baird is a particularly strong actor. I think I've spoken about this before with Computer Affair. He's, he's one of the least convincing actors in the series, unfortunately. Um, but also, I, I... It's difficult. I used to find the naiveness of that racial prejudice burned itself out five years ago thing as if you know we can put a date on it that was a bit of silliness we all went through but now we are officially past it um it's it's a nice thought um and again it's it's very forward thinking of the andersons that um you know this this is presumably a world where for the general you know the, the general consensus is we're not racist anymore 
Um, but as Samira said, Straker's response of I don't care what colour you are is um, doesn't quite fit either the character or the tone of what they're trying to do. And uh, I, I, I admire them for trying with that scene. Um, I, I just don't think it, it quite works as they intended. Certainly there, it's a legitimate point that Mark is raising. It would have been nice to, um, to have explored that a bit more fully. Because it, it's a huge idea to, uh, to just throw away in, in one scene like that. Um, but, yeah. Again, that's, that is a discussion that, um, that, that you can have, as, as Samira did with, with Jamie a few weeks ago. And I saw on, on Facebook a few people leaving comments of, sort of, Oh, here we go! Woke PC agenda! But no, no, these, you can have discussions about these programs. They're not going to fall apart if you have an honest, you know, objective, rational discussion about, you know, sometimes these shows were a bit male gaze. Sometimes there was a bit of unfortunate sexism. I mean, Fireball XL5, oh my goodness. Same with um, with that, you know, racial prejudice burned itself out five years ago. It's naive, but you know what? I admire the the optimism that's inherent in that statement because here we are um, more than half a century after this episode was was made and uh, let's be honest we're we're nowhere near that 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 world are we anyway if I haven't caused a load of people to turn off there meanwhile Foster has been given some uh, oxygen by the alien his new friend and they're currently having a discussion through uh, nodding and finger waggling and such over the best way to get back to Moonbase. Meanwhile, our new Moonbase commander, Mark Bradley, is arriving to uh, take command. Good morning, sir. Morning. Wearing his nice, shiny new uniform. It's also strange to establish that Moonbase, we need a commander. We've got to have a commander. There's got to be a man in the center seat wearing a... I'd just like to say we're glad to have you with us, sir. Thank you very much. Wearing a silver suit. And, um, well, hang on a second. First episode of the show... This is Control to Moon Mobile 3. It was Gay Ellis was, was sat there. A lieutenant, not a commander. You've sent out a mobile? Yes, sir. To the UFO crater? Yes. What? I did not know I needed your permission. You don't, Commander. Carry on. If you want to conduct some sort of search for Paul Foster, I mean, I was happy to write him off as dead, but, you know, um, you do you. Meanwhile, back out on the lunar surface... Paul Foster and Chum have uh, become firm friends. Uh, they're helping each other to cross a ravine now. The alien apparently thought to bring some rope. Well, one of them thought to bring some rope. Oh, and he's testing it, making sure the line's good to, to cross the... I, I, to be honest, I can't quite get what's going on here. Somehow the alien has gotten to the other side of the ravine ahead of Foster to um, to install the rope. And now Foster is uh, slowly making his way along the rope, overhanging this uh, this crevasse. Again, how did the alien get to the other side? 
he hasn't got like a jetpack or anything. Did he jump? Did he fly? Dunno. But I do like going back to the um the, the racism angle from the, the Mark Bradley scene, I like the way it is sort of subtly reflected in two men from completely different civilizations, but they are helping each other and coming together and uh you know, despite the fact that this is the alien who of course killed our poor friend Bill Grant. But it's okay because the alien is our friend now too. And he's helped Paul Foster make it to the other side. Somehow. It's one of those sequences where I don't think the uh the the, the live action set and the models and the editing quite establish what's going on. But Foster's happy the aliens uh been enormous help to him again. But uh, this is an early example of um, you would see in, in later sci-fi shows of a, one of our heroes is forced to work with a, a an alien or an antagonist or an enemy or whatever. They've got to band together in order to survive. This would be probably one of the earliest examples of that, I would have thought, on, uh, on sci-fi television. I've, I've got to say this one has never really done much for me, to be honest, and I think it's because of these sequences out on the lunar surface. I'll take her a couple of degrees over to port. They they just feel like they've gone on forever. Miles on. We'll go round it. Right. And really, they, they haven't. They only take up about half of the episode. But whenever I think of this episode, I just think of people, two men stumbling around on a, on a lunar surface set in, in almost total silence. Because that's something, oddly, you don't hear when people are walking on the moon in UFO. You don't hear footsteps, whereas you do in 1999. It's, it's an interesting comparison with how these two shows uh, went about creating a, a lunar world in, in different ways. Meanwhile, Foster and the alien, they're... They're having a man-to-man -man moment. They're both looking into each other's eyes and nodding. See what you mean? About what? That crevasse field straight ahead. Rough terrain. Hmm. Well, it's clearly taken a lot out of the alien. He's fallen asleep. Yeah, this is a good, uh, a good showcase as well for uh, the show's resident alien, Guito Santana, who played, oh, at least 90% of the aliens on this show. No matter the fact that he died in the previous uh, appearance, he would still come back to be the alien next time, probably because uh, very few people would want to be inside that suit and have those contact lenses in. Foster and the alien are just about given up, and um, Foster can see a, a moonmobile on the horizon. One thing, actually, that I've always wondered about this episode, and I said one of the reasons I'm, I'm not a fan is because of these endless scenes on the lunar surface. At least it feels like they're endless. One thing I might have done with this episode, if I had been in charge... Help! Help! Or if I'd been in the editing room, is maybe frame it as something of a, a flashback. Start out with Foster and the alien on the lunar surface. And as they make their journey back to Moonbase, we have flashbacks showing how they got into this situation in the first place. It might have helped some of the pacing with this. Um, but, you know, a lot of it is two people stumbling around in, in silence. Venus. Which doesn't always make for riveting television. Hey, hey! Come on, wake up! We're safe! They've seen us! I do... I think you do come to like this alien, though, by the end of the story, and you like Foster's relationship with him. 
Bring an air cylinder, hurry! But again, we're coming to one of uh, UFO's typical downbeat endings. We're safe. They found us. Now, now, you stay here. Do you understand? You stay here. Yeah, Foster's going out to meet two men from the uh, the mobile. He's very excited, telling his alien friend all about it. Well, Foster made it all of three feet away from the alien. Again, I don't think this episode establishes um, a geography of, of sets very well. It looks like Foster has collapsed and been found by the Moonmobile pilots, like uh, two feet away from where he was with the alien. I, I suspect they had a very limited number of uh, lunar surface sets for this episode. Probably just the same space redressed. And with no radio... Foster has to shout to his rescuers. Yeah. He saved my life. He's a friend. And even then, they can't hear him. Okay, Commander, we can't hear you. Right, let's lift him up. One of these actors, I can't remember his name, but he later returned in uh, the Dalatek affair. He's uh, one of the personnel at the Dalatek base. It's a rare example of an actor returning to the series. He's a friend. Take it easy. And going from working in Shadow to working in an organization that doesn't know anything about Shadow. Normally, it was the other way around when people made return appearances on these shows. Shall we carry him, sir? Hold him a minute. Listen. That's clever. Pressing his visor to Foster's visor. He saved my life. An alien. Well, but the only thing he hears is... He said something about an alien. An alien. And the other guy is just like, right, I'm going to beg me an alien. He's got his gun. No. Oh, Foster's... Oh no! Can't kill the alien! Oh, the alien's getting up to meet the shadow guy and. dead. Oh no. Foster's lost two best friends in the space of a few days. Oh. Again, I would have liked to have seen some, um, some fallout from the idea of if not a friendly alien, then an alien who is willing to work with Shadow. But with this and with um, a question of priorities, there's no real discussion of you know just what that might mean. Um, I would have loved to have seen him get back to Moonbase with Foster, but anyway... I don't understand. I'm told you're dead. Then you're alive. You walk in here as if nothing has happened. I can't take it anymore. You've always known there are things I can't tell you your job but does it come before everything even me well it depends if i've always worked for shadow or if i used to be a test pilot who now works for shadow at this point i don't know sorry no that's it oh he's walking out on suzanne farmer and her pink elephant oh you said you wanted him gone he's gone gone for good Gone to have a long string of uh, other lady friends on a weekly basis. Oh, that's it. Now, uh, Alec Freeman is driving him home today. He's uh, Paul's designated driver. Buy your drink, Alec. Fine. At this point in production order, I basically know nothing about you, but I'm always up for a drink. And that was Survival. And, well, as I said, I'm not a huge fan of this episode. I certainly don't think it's a bad one. I think there are some 
some pacing issues. I don't think the show is as sophisticated as it would later become to handle some of some of its ideas, and um, particularly as we've discussed the um, the Mark Bradley racism was over five years ago thing. Oh, it's um. I kind of wish you could take this script and have it produced during the Pinewood era, just to see if if it would have been more effective if the pacing there's something there's some way we could fix this episode it's not bad it is just quite slow and i think with a, a bit of a polish bit of a faster direction something a, a bit slicker production we could have something really good here as it is some good ideas and poor old alien he killed the alien that's not fair <laughs>